What a great God we serve. I turn your attention this morning to Luke chapter 1 and verse 31. Thank you for being here today. Such a great presence of God and a wonderful opportunity to gather in his house with his people under the banner of his name. A place that was designated for the purpose of worshiping God. And his word is an integral part of the experience that we as humans have when we interact with God. Something about the word of God that provides that that seeding, as it were, of letting something be planted in our spirit. Luke chapter 1 and verse 31, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, bring forth a son, shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, shall be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. I'd like to speak this morning on this subject, an infinite God in a finite world. An infinite God in a finite world. Would you bow your heads and pray? Lord, we are thankful for the opportunity to be in your house. We don't take it lightly, Lord. We understand that we are standing on holy ground and that we have a unique opportunity to come together in your presence. We ask you, Lord, even as we have felt your touch and your glory in this service, that you would now prepare our hearts to receive your word. Let the word be planted in our spirit. And let it change us from the inside out. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. We live in a finite world, a world that's bound by time and space. A world that measures everything on a spreadsheet of wins and losses. When God came to this earth, wrapped in flesh, born in Bethlehem, He came to a people that were finite in their thinking. A world that measured right and wrong by nationality and position. And even the closest followers of Jesus, His disciples, waited for the moment when he would overthrow the Romans and drive them out of Palestine. This was the finite act in their minds that would establish Jesus as the Messiah and give him acceptance among the Jewish elite. The crucifixion interrupted their thinking, but only for a moment. The resurrection of Jesus resurrected their belief and hope that now was the time that he would establish the kingdom of Israel. It was a finite mindset. But it was an infinite God resurrected for a greater purpose. The first chapter of Acts records their finite thinking as they gathered on the Mount of Olives and Jesus is preparing for his ascension to heaven. They know that time is short so they cannot hold it back any longer. They had been with Jesus through all the ups and downs, the mountains and valleys, the 
disappointments, the exhilaration of the miracles and the healings, the crucifixion, the beating, the trial, Pilate's, the governor of Rome, his final decree and everything that went with that, the resurrection and the days that followed that as Jesus would just appear when they gathered together. But now they are conscious of the fact that he is getting ready to transcend. There is a transition in place. And so they can't hold back the question any longer. They have to ask it. Lord, will you at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? Is this, is this the moment that everything we've done together leads up to this? Is this the time when you're going to do it? Jesus responds very abruptly, revealing the difference between an infinite God with an infinite plan to a finite people with a finite desire. He states very emphatically, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. These were his last words on earth. From this statement he ascends and goes into heaven just as he came an infinite God in a finite world. Just as they did not receive what they were looking for at that moment. He pointed them to where the power would come from. He said, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you and you shall be witnesses. That is your mission. You see, my friend, if you are filled with the Holy Ghost, you have the essence of God in you. You can live in a finite world, but you can live in a finite world with an infinite mindset because you have the Spirit of God in you. If you come to a crossroad and one sign points to victory and the other points to fulfillment, which one do you take? Victory is finite, but fulfillment is infinite. What would happen, ladies and gentlemen, if we started living like there was no finish line in this life? That life was not an event, but rather a journey. If our focus is to win, it is short-lived, it is finite. It's exciting, it's exhilarating, but then the lights are turned off and everybody goes home. But if our focus is fulfillment... It is infinite. It can be long and sometimes discouraging because we're not living with a scoreboard. But others will join us. And when our lives are over, others will keep going without us and inspire others to join them. First they ate the animals in the zoo and then they ate their own dogs and cats. Some even resorted to eating wallpaper paste and boiled leather. Then the unthinkable happened. A child died. He was just three years old, wrote Daniil Granin, one of the survivors. His mother laid the body inside the double-glazed window and sliced off a piece of him each day to feed her second child. 
These were some of the extremes the people of Leningrad were driven to during the Nazis' nearly 900-day siege of the city from September 1941 to January 1944. Over one million citizens, including 400,000 children, died, many of them due to starvation. And all the while, unbeknownst to the masses, a stash of hundreds of thousands of seeds, tons of potatoes, rice, nuts, and cereal lay hidden in the heart of the city. About 25 years before the siege began, a, a young botanist named Nikolai Vavilov started building his seed collection. Growing up in a time when Russia was ravaged by major famines that killed millions of people, he committed his life and his work to ending hunger and preventing future ecological disasters. What started as idealism eventually became a highly focused cause for Vavilov. He traveled the world to collect various types of food crops and learned more about what made some more resilient than others. Before long, he had collected seeds from over 6,000 types of crops. Vavilov wanted to have a backup of all the seeds for all the world's food should any species become extinct due to natural or even man-made disasters. So in 1920, Vavilov left his life as an academic to become the head of the Department of Applied Botany in Leningrad. And with the help of government funding, Vavilov was able to bring together a whole team of scientists to join him in his work and help advance his cause. And like any good visionary with an infinite mindset, he, he concluded that the outcome is uncertain, but still, I want to try. Within two years, however, things had changed. This was Joseph Stalin's Soviet Union, and no one was safe not even the highly respected Vavilov. Over the course of his rule, which lasted until his death in 1953, Stalin is said to have been responsible for the deaths of over 20 million of his own people. Sadly, Vavilov became one of Stalin's political targets. Arrested in 1940 on trumped-up charges of espionage, Vavilov was subjected to over 400 sessions of brutal interrogation, some lasting 13 hours, and all with the intent of breaking his spirit and coercing a confession that he was a, an anti-Stalin sympathizer. But Vavilov was not a man that could be easily broken, not even under such extreme conditions. Despite his captor's best efforts, he never broke. He never confessed to the false charges against him. And so in 1943, at 55 years old, the visionary botanist and plant geneticist who had devoted his life to ending world hunger died in prison of malnutrition. Some would say he lost, but did he? If you are committed to a cause that is bigger than yourself, does your death signal a loss or a gain? It depends if you're measuring with a finite mindset or an infinite mindset. Because this is what Jesus did. He was committed to a cause bigger than himself. His death was not the end. It was just the beginning. The time of Avalov's death, the siege of Leningrad was raging. Then in the middle of the war zone, hidden in a rather nondescript building in St. Isaac's Square, was a priceless seed collection. Which by now consisted of hundreds of thousands of varieties of crops. 
This treasure was threatened by the constant shelling of the city and by rats of all things because the starving people had eaten all the cats which would normally control the rat population. But because there were no cats, the rats took over. Not only that, Hitler was also after it, but he didn't know where it was located. And, and none of the team that worked with Vavilov would give it up. Though tortured and under severe conditions, the scientists would not give it up. And in the end, surrounded by this gold mine of seeds and potatoes and nuts and rice that they refused to eat, nine of the scientists died of starvation. One of the survivors, Vadim Lokovich, who helped plant the seed potatoes and stood guard over them as the shots flew through the air, was later asked about not eating the bounty. He said, it was hard to walk. It was unbearably hard to get up every morning, to move your hands and to even move your feet. But it was not in the least bit difficult to refrain from eating up the collection. It was impossible to think of eating it up. For what was involved was the cause of your life the cause of your comrades' lives. These scientists who carried on Vavilov's work during the siege felt like they were part of something bigger than themselves. Their work gave their life purpose and meaning beyond any one individual or the very real struggles that they faced to have fed themselves or even to have fed the masses of starving residents in the city would have been a finite solution to a finite problem. But they believed in a cause that could keep the human race going for as long as possible, not just for those in Leningrad. So they were willing to die for that cause. And whether or not we agree with their commitment, Make no mistake that they had an infinite mindset in a finite war. The vision of Avalov lives on and now there are 2,000 seed banks spread across more than 100 countries. One of the largest is the Global Seed Vault in Norway. It stores over a billion seeds from nearly 6,000 species of flora. But when I read this, I could not help but think about Jesus and his followers because it would have been so much easier for Jesus to just pass on the suffering of the cross. But he was committed to his mission. And he was infinite in his submission to that cause. Even the word submission literally means to be under, submitted, subrogated, submarine, to be under the mission, to be committed to the cause. That's what Jesus was. It wasn't anything that anybody wanted to do to go through the pain of a crucifixion. But he said, not my will, but thy will be done. He was an infinite God in a finite world. And then his disciples all died as martyrs, but they carried on the work of Jesus, committed to the cause. Committed to the cause. What would make the disciples die as martyrs and give up their life? Because they had an infinite mindset that there is something greater than my own personal comfort. There is a cause that transcends even our life. Oh, my friend, this is how you find fulfillment. 
When you are committed to a cause that is greater than just your own personal comfort. When you're committed to a cause that's greater than just instant gratification. When you are committed to a cause that says, you know what? I'm going to believe. I'm going to commit. I'm going to be submitted to the mission. I'm going to give my heart and my life to this great cause. Ladies and gentlemen, that's when your life has purpose. That's when it has meaning. That's when you move from a finite mindset to an infinite mindset. That's where real joy comes from because you don't have to live the roller coaster of good days and bad days. You get up every day and say, This is the day that the Lord hath made. As people die all around us every day, I submit to you that there is a treasure trove of love, mercy, and forgiveness that's available. I said it's available. If they only knew about the power of the Holy Ghost, they wouldn't give up. I said if they only knew about the power of the Holy Ghost, what makes a man or a woman or a young person decide to take their own life boggles my mind. It can only come from a mindset that says it's not going to get any better. There is no light at the end of the tunnel. There is no hope. But oh, when you've got an infinite mindset, uh, you get up every day uh, and you believe that this can be the better day. This can be a greater opportunity. This is the moment that God has given me. Oh, my friend, uh, you can't find that love, that mercy, that forgiveness uh, if you're only dealing with a finite mindset uh, of measuring everything things in terms of your own personal fulfillment but when you get an infinite mindset and you're not going to live life keeping score but you said I want to bless the Lord I want to love when I feel like hating I'm going to reach out when I don't feel like I've got any strength yet I'm not interested in comfort I embrace sacrifice that's moving from a finite mindset to an infinite mindset and because of the commitment of those that went before, because Jesus did not move away from an infinite mindset even as he faced the cross, because his disciples, powered by the Holy Ghost, took on an infinite mindset, because of that commitment, there are countless millions of Christians in the world today None of which would have happened if Jesus would have been compromised by a finite world. But I'm glad that he wasn't. And I'm glad that his disciples weren't. Because if you lived in that day, you would say, what a sad existence this man or this woman had who gave their life. And John Huss standing in the square with flames coming up around him begins to worship and glorify God in uh, Prague even as he is being disintegrated by the flames. But yet he begins to worship God. If you were just a bystander there, you would say, what a wasted life, what a wasted existence. But is it really a waste? You and I benefit from the sacrifice of others because they were living for a cause that is bigger than themselves. They were not keeping score in this finite game called life. Oh, my friend, if we only live with finite thinking, if we only live for the moment, we will live for the thrill of the temporary victory. We will spend our life trying to come in first. But I submit to you today that there are things that you cannot measure by first place, second place, and third place. 
how do you measure when a person feels the joy of the Lord in their life for the very first time? How do you measure when a marriage comes back together? How do you measure when a child is delivered from sin? There is no such thing as coming in first in marriage or friendship. Though school may be finite, there is no such thing as winning education. We can beat out other candidates for a job or promotion, but no one is ever crowned the winner of careers. Though nations may compete on a global scale with other nations for land, influence, or economic advantage, there is no such thing as winning global politics. History is littered with finite mistakes. Many of them were made by countries far away and long ago. But one that we are painfully reminded of as a nation is the Vietnam War. How can you win every battle and lose the war? Because we were fighting a finite war against an infinite mindset. You can't win in a battle when someone is willing to die for their cause and you're not. You can't win that battle. You can't win battling an infinite mindset when you battle with a finite mindset. You just cannot win. In World War II, we were able to achieve a clear victory and wipe out fascism. But the face of our opponent changed. And now we're repeating history again in Afghanistan because we did not learn from Vietnam. We are fighting for a finish line, a measurable mark of debarkation, a place where we can declare victory. But victory is elusive when it is the focus rather than the cause. You gotta find something greater to fight for. You gotta say, I'm not just fighting for my own existence. I believe in a cause, and that cause is greater. If one person or nation is battling for the cause, and the other is battling for the victory, who do you think will win? If one person is living for instant gratification and another is living for delayed gratification, who will win? When the Bible says in Isaiah 55 that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, that statement can be clearly defined by the distinction of finite thinking and infinite nature. The reason that his ways are higher than our ways and that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts is because as human beings, we are confined by finite thinking, by finite living. But God isn't. He's an infinite God with an infinite nature. He knows the beginning from the end. And I believe that if you and I can get this revelation, we'll begin to find joy and fulfillment and purpose where we never saw it before because we can get up every day and say this is the day that the Lord has made but if I'm dealing and struggling with finite thinking I will believe that if God loves me he will bless me and I can't make sense of the pain and the suffering and the health challenges if I have finite thinking if I believe that God loves me, and if He loves me, He will bless me, then I'll stay confused a good portion of my life because I'm playing a finite game with an infinite God. I forget in my finite thinking that He knows 
the beginning from the end, and he is not confined by the bookends of life and death. He's not confined by the moments and the mistakes that mark your life and my life. I want you to consider the flip side of this because it's a two-edged sword. He's also a God that is infinite in His love and in His mercy. That means that He is not a God that then moves away from us because we have made a mistake. Because you and I would have given up on ourselves a long time ago. But He is infinite in His love. And even when I don't love myself, He loves me! Even when you can't love yourself, He loves you. Even when you're tired of your own actions, God is still reaching for you. Why? Because He's an infinite God with infinite love and infinite grace and infinite mercy. And it's hard for us to get our brain around that. It's hard for us to understand that He's not confined by my cry for comfort, my request for immediate satisfaction, my desire. For the measured response of the miraculous. Because in my finite thinking, I make a lot of mistakes. I want to measure the move of God by declaring how many people were baptized in Jesus' name. And how many people received the Holy Ghost. And how many people were healed. And how many people were in service on Sunday. But how can you measure a heart that was broken? And God put the pieces back together. How do you measure a trust that is restored or a hope that was returned? How do you measure faith that is renewed or love that recovers? How do you measure a person who thought about taking their own life, but because they were in the presence of God said, I'm not going to do it. I found something great. You can't measure everything that God does. You can't measure a God that moves in the middle of the night because a man or a woman has nowhere else to turn. So they go to their knees and God hears their prayer. How do you keep score with that? Can you measure God by the rise and fall of the stock market? Can you measure God by the presence or absence of viruses? God had reached a place where he felt he had a man who understood the ups and the downs of life. He even asked Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Must have been that God had confidence in Job, that he had an infinite mindset, that he could handle the pain and the suffering. And so everything was thrown at him. And when Job had reached a place where he was spent, he felt like he couldn't make it another day. He began to question God. And God, in response, asked Job some tough questions. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? What are the foundations of the earth fastened to? Who laid the cornerstone? Who shut up the sea with doors? Who told the waves that you can come here but no further? Where does light dwell? Where does darkness abide? Have the gates of death been opened to you? Declare if you know at all. Do you know the breadth of the earth? Have you walked the depth of the springs and the sea? Can you have an arm like God? Can you thunder with a voice like Him? Does the hawk fly by thy wisdom? Does the eagle mount up at thy command? Job says, I don't, I don't even know why I spoke. I spoke and I wasn't thinking. And the Bible said He put His hand to His mouth. 
You're dealing with an infinite God. He's not your errand boy. He's not your jack in the box. He's not confined by public opinion or human understanding. He is the mighty God in Christ. He is the Jehovah Jireh. Yes, he's my provider. But he is the mighty God. And he is an infinite God. So you can't put God in the box of three persons and declare understanding. Three persons, co-eternal, co-existent. Never was there one without the other. Never will there be one without the other. He's not some guinea pig for your theological gymnastics uh, that you can put him in some kind of a box and think that you can fully explain who God is. My friend, he is self-proving. He is self-fulfilling. He could swear by none greater. So he swore by himself or he affirmed by himself. There is none beside him, period. And it matters not that my finite thinking wants to put an infant in God. In three persons, the fact of the matter is, here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, period. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's above all and through all and in you all. Woo, hallelujah. Then how can he be here and there and the Father and the Son? You may not ever understand it, but you don't have to understand it. All you got to do is say, I trust in you, Lord. I can't figure it out. I don't know why you bless some and others are going through a cancer and some are in sickness and, and some are in prosperity. I don't understand it all, but here's what I do know. Though the skin worms destroy this flesh, yet I shall see God. I trust in you, Lord. You know the way that I take. It matters not that we think we deserve an answer or an explanation from God of our present dilemma. I may never get an answer or a victory, but I can have peace because this world is not my home. I'm not just living for the here and now. My treasures are laid up Somewhere beyond the blue. And ladies and gentlemen, he gave us access to the throne of grace. He put his spirit in us. He gave you a part of an infinite DNA. He put the spirit of God inside of you and inside of me. So that even when these bodies decay and go back to the dust from whence they came, there is an infinite essence of God by the infilling of His Spirit in humanity. So that every time I choose to worship rather than complain, I move from finite living to infinite living. Every time I choose to say, bless the Lord anyhow, rather than to damn His name and to question His existence, I live with an infinite mindset because I've got an infinite spirit and that spirit will declare the works of God you go ahead and sit there if you want to but if you get a revelation that the spirit of God is given to you for the purpose of giving you power power over darkness power over sickness power over finite thinking oh you ought to lift your hands right now and you ought to set your voice like a trumpet.
Jesus. 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 Worship transcends this life. Worship is the essence of infinite thinking. Because I can worship God with the breath that I have here. But when I get a glimpse of what happens in heaven, the redeemed are throwing their crowns before the throne and saying, holy, holy, holy. So there is an essence of that infinite, eternal worship of God that can be exercised right here. That's why the devil's going to fight worship. That's why the enemy will fight your praise. But when you say, I'm going to bless God anyhow, I'm not going to live my life measured by every breath. But while I have breath, good God Almighty, while I have breath, let everything that hath breath praise ye the Lord. You ought to worship Him, whether it's good or bad or up or down. I choose to bless the Lord, oh my soul. You say, but pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. He still deserves your worship. You don't know what I've been through. You still ought to praise him. If you've got his spirit. You've got power. 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 through a dark night you can't find this treasure until you've gone through a crisis that you have no explanation for you'll never find this treasure trove but if you've ever had a time when you don't know where you're going to do where you're going to go what you're going to do if you've ever had a time when you're not sure of your next step you had to reach down and find the treasure of God's power You can remain standing. Yesterday I was on the phone for an hour with my good friends Tom and Debbie Trimble who pastor Restoration Church in St. Louis, Missouri. Two weeks ago we buried their son, Anthony, a gifted, anointed songwriter, worship leader, 35 years old, colon cancer, three young children. I called him yesterday to check on him. They were driving in the car and got a chance to talk to both of them. And there were times when Sister Debbie cried as we recollected. And I said to those wonderful people who handle heartache as well as anybody I've ever met, 
But you know, legacy is an interesting study. And I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but I do think there's some people's lives that they accomplished more in their death than they did while they were alive. And I think Anthony may be one of those. Pastor Tom said, I think you may be right. Started a movement. He wrote that song, I'm here, I'm here to worship. I'm here. I'm wearing the pen right here. There's thousands of people wearing these pens. Starting a movement. I'm here, I'm here to worship. Ain't no rock going to take my praise. Some people may look at that life 35 years and think, oh, what a tragedy. Brother Tom, Sister Debbie told me that she fought this cancer for six years, went through different stages of ups and downs, as you know, life can bring unexplainable circumstances. He said, we noticed in the last year of his life, all he wanted to do was be with his family. Took his kids to Disney World six times. All he wanted to do was be with his kids. Then Brother Tom told me, he said, what was interesting was like, it seemed as he got closer to death, his life became distilled down to what's really important. Death has a way of putting life into focus like nothing else can. And he said the last three weeks of his life, all he wanted to do was worship God. A week before he died, he wrote a, wrote a song about heaven. He wrote a lot of the songs that we sing. And him and his dad wrote this song about heaven together as he just had a few days to live sitting around the piano. The other day, Brother Tom said, I went over to visit his wife and my three grandchildren, and they were singing that song that he wrote a week before he passed. How do you explain that with a finite mindset? There's no explanation. All I can tell you is that I, I sat on the front row of that funeral, and I I watched as his parents worshipped God in the face of heartache and grief. I saw the video clips of him dancing on vacation in his home with his family and worshiping God around the piano. And I remembered those words. Only one life so soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will and I realized when I talked to his parents yesterday that there was something special about understanding that your life can be distilled down to what's really valuable so that in the last few weeks of your life, all you want to do is worship God. As if there's the premonition that this is only what matters. Because you're ready to transition to an infinite, everlasting life. I choose to worship God because it's what gives me the ability to connect with a, an infinite God with an infinite mindset so that every time I choose sacrifice over comfort I move from finite living to infinite living
Every time you choose to believe rather than doubt. Every time you choose to trust rather than fear. Every time you choose to love rather than hate. You have aligned yourself with an infinite God. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not just confined by our scorekeeping in this existence that we have. You and I have access to the treasure trove. What a tragedy it would be to die and not access all the blessings of God. The joy of another service to be able to lift our hands and say, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Hallelujah. Would you do that all over this building right now? Would you lift your hands and your voice? There's no end to your kingdom, God. There's no end to your kingdom, God. There's no end to your kingdom, God. You may not be facing death today. You may not have a loved one is sick. You may not have anything going going on in a negative fashion your circle of influence your family, your career, your education you don't have anything that you can point to that says that's a death obstacle but oh my friend, no matter what it is that you're facing you can worship I said you can worship Even if I don't feel my need, I can worship God anyhow. I wonder if all over this building, maybe you want to step out in the aisle, maybe you want to come to the altar, maybe you want to just stay where you're at. But I wonder right now if we could turn this whole place into a cacophony of praise and we could lift our voices and our hands. And would you begin to just declare the glory of God? Come on, just lift up your voice and begin to praise Him. Come on, He can do anything. He has all power, all authority. If you've ever been filled with the Holy Ghost, uh, you've got His Spirit in you. It'll prompt you. Uh, it'll give you what you need to, to declare His glory. To lift up the name of Jesus in spite of all the circumstances. You are a great God, O oh Lord. You are a great God, O oh Lord. Come on, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to quit. I found a treasure. I found joy. I found fulfillment. I found purpose.